My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put things in context and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes a rally will fizzle simply because there's no more good news to propel things. And that's how I felt today when the averages gave up the ghost on some not so hot new data points. With the Dow sinking 389 points, the SP tumbling 1.22%, and the NASDAQ plunging 1.56%. Those disappointments put the rally on ice, at least for the moment. Now, I regard it as simple profit-taking, but I get that this is a market that needs endless beats and rays from the companies that report. And the two that reported last night, and they were important, Adobe and Lenar, didn't give us world-beating quarters or outlooks, even as I found both quarters well-executed and delivered. Now, let's turn to next week's game plan. We have got one of the strangest weeks of the year coming up because there's an overwhelming sense that the Fed's on hold, not raising rates next week. So... I have to be the only one who's worried about what Jay Powell will say when the chairman speaks on Wednesday after the the next big meeting. Now, I make that point because I'm simply not seeing enough evidence that inflation has been tamed to where Powell would have to change the language he uses. Right now, he's at cross purposes with the bulls. Powell's much more worried about stopping inflation than he is about preserving earnings or jobs or corporate balance sheets or consumer spending, for that matter. He has to swim against the tide and talk about whether inflation's still trending lower, an argument that gets harder to make as oil goes higher and higher, right? See, the price of crude has snuck up to $90, and by the way, it seems headed to $100, where the sky-high cost of fuel might get embedded into the whole system. I don't know if that's enough to change the Fed's actions, but it's clearly enough to change Jay Powell's words. Gives him more reason to stay hawkish in his statement and the following Q&A session, which I dread so much. I'm not negating everything else that's happening because there's plenty that's going right. But I do get worried when no one else seems to be afraid of an upcoming Fed meeting where a central bank could end up taking a harder line than most people expect, and that will send the market lower. So what's coming beyond the Fed? For a long time, we loved the booming travel and leisure space, one of the best ways to make money in the post-pandemic atmosphere. Although now that there are worries, and the worries are that that whole move could be threatened. Hey, look, we just had Betty Airlines pre-announced negative numbers. That does say that travel is slowing. How big could it get? Well, Disney hosts a very important theme park-oriented investor meeting in Orlando at the theme park on Monday, and that might shine some lights on a division that's actually going gangbusters, especially in China, and nobody's talking about it. Theme parks are a bonanza for Disney. I expect them to be more resilient than the rest of travel and leisure. And by the way, have you been to a Netflix theme park? I don't recall any. Disney makes a fortune on theirs. What else? Oh, everyone is so petrified that Disney have to pay an arm and a leg to Comcast, our parent company, to buy the remaining stake of Hulu. I think Disney's strong enough to afford it, and they've got plenty of cash. One reason we own the stock for my charitable trust. That said, I'd like to hear some clarity on their ESPN strategy, maybe some outside investors, I don't know. And if there's anything in these stories about how they might be selling ABC to Nexstar, 
Uh, I, I don't think there's really anything to it. Again, if this were as desperate as the Bears make it sound, I'd be telling investing club members to be much more concerned. And I'm not doing that, though. In fact, we actually bought some more Disney stock right here at these levels for the trust. To me, Disney's about to play offense, and it starts Monday in Orlando. How about boating? as the expensive leisure, leisure option, made even more expensive by skyrocketing gas prices. The cost issue will come up at Monday's Brunswick Investment Union. The cost of filling up my Brunswick brand Boston Whaler is going through the roof. Here's a company that thought boats had been de-cyclicalized. Yes, that's a term for how they're not as cyclical in the past, uh, and that was post-COVID, but it didn't happen. They had a pandemic boom that's not extending into the pandemic, well, post-pandemic year. I thought it would. Uh-uh. I worry Brunswick may have to take numbers down again. On Monday night, we might get the pricing of the Instacart deal. That's an IPO. It's a very convenient way to shop, although it seemed a heck of a lot better a few years ago. Something that's obvious when you look at what amounts to be a big down round in their financing. I believe Instacart's taking advantage of the beautiful halo from the uh, arm deal yesterday. Do you want to own this one? I don't recommend it. If you want to play the Instacart IPO, I've got a better way. I'd much rather buy the stock of Goldman Sachs, which is a lead underwriter. It also played a big role in the ARM deal. They're getting a piece of the upcoming Birkenstock IPO, which can be very big, by the way. Underwriting is Goldman's real stock in trade. And after 18 months of quiet, the burner's finally back on. Finally, we should get our best read on iPhone pre-orders Monday. Already, we're hearing the stories of, of much better infected demand. You know what I say. I say own Apple, don't trade it. On Tuesday, we hear from AutoZone. Now, this is one of the best-kept secrets in the business. They've been buying back massive quantities of stock for years. While we know that Advanced Auto Parts has had a tough time lately, I think these two have parted ways in terms of execution. AutoZone is much better, which is why they dominate the do-it-yourself space. you got my blessing to buy some before reports on Tuesday, then buy more later if the stock sells off, because they'll be in there buying it back soon enough. Wednesday is the fulcrum day next week, which is where the market's biggest teams will all come together. It starts with General Mills, the food company that has been leading in sales but folded badly last quarter. Can Mills turn it around? It's not easy when their high-end pet food business, Blue Buffalo, seems to have stalled. It didn't help that Zoetis said pet spending slowing earlier this week. That's the pet med company. Then we have the Fed itself front and center with the possibility of a harder line than people expect. Surprises are unwelcome to the bull camp right now. The bulls believe that the Fed's work is almost done. I certainly hope that's true, but I hope it shouldn't be part of the equation. It's very hard to believe that they're through with oil at $90 a barrel. After the close, we need to see if KB Home can get the group out of a newfound margin-related funk brought on by last night's Lennar quarter. The Fed wants to see more homes selling at cheaper prices. We need to know whether the Fed's work is succeeding. If they're truly winning the war against inflation, it's bad news for home builders. More on that later. Finally, we have the much-anticipated FedEx earnings. And just like the Adobe last night, I'm worried that even the best quarter won't be enough to send the stock higher. We know it should be a fantastic quarter as FedEx took share from UPS out of fear that the latter might be closed by a strike. But that's looking like a one-time-only situation now that UPS has cut a deal with the Teamsters Union. I expect a beat-and-raise quarter that nevertheless causes FedEx stock perhaps to sell off. Are people still going out? Are people still spending money, spending fortunes doing so? Why don't we look at Darden, that's the owner of Olive Garden, to find out when it reports on Thursday. It'd be a huge deal if they still have good numbers, given that or, the order, others in the cohort seem to have stalled out. I like the stock, but not enough to buy it for the Chapel Trust. Hey, speaking of the trust, wow, yes, 
club meeting, most attended thing that we do, 12 noon next Thursday. I would love for you to join the club and hear what we have to say. We being Jeff Marks, my colleague at the investing club. And then finally, Friday will be one week for the auto strike. How long can this thing last? It's possible we get some resolution, but it sure seems like UAW's Sean Fain wants to drag this out. That may not be good. The bottom for the whole economy. But the bottom line, when there's a Fed meeting coming up in less than a week and nobody it seems worried about it, maybe you want to brace yourself for a little turbulence. How about Tyler in California? Tyler. Hey, big booyah from California. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. Booyah to you. Booyah. So, uh, quick question for you. Yeah. I, I found out uh, my son has type 1 diabetes and oh. uses the Dexcom G6. And my entire family actually has diabetes. So I wanted to ask you about Dexcom, DXCM. Sure. Well, first, man, I'm sorry about the, the results there. That's a tough, that's a tough verdict. Uh, Dexcom is a company that does really well uh, when, sadly, diabetes is booming. People feel that the drugs that come, the, the, uh, the, these really interesting drugs from Lilly and Novo, will cut down diabetes. And I have to tell you, I agree with them. That's why uh, there's been a little on Dexcom stock, and I want to I be careful there. It's down a lot, but I still want to be careful. How about Sonny in Massachusetts? Sonny. Hey, Dr. Chill, from one doctor to another, thanks for everything. I'm a ah, new club member because, because I got tired of hearing my friend make a ton of money through the club. I'm here listening with my thank 9-year-old you. son who is a huge fan. Oh, yeah, Jim. That kid's got horse sense. Terrific. My What's question up? is on end phase. With oil prices going up and attempting entry point, are they currently a buy and will they make me money? I keep thinking that they will, but the problem is people keep saying that, you know what, with interest rates this high, it's a financing play, and the financing's too expensive. I suggest if you really want to directly play the correlation, you do it with First Solar even up here. Now, and thank you for this nice words. It seems that everyone's overlooking the Fed meeting coming up next week, but I think you should buckle up for some unexpected turbulence right into it. On May Money tonight, a major security breach took down the computer systems at MGM in Las Vegas. So how does something like this happen? And what do we need to know about threats like that in the future? I'm running through the, the latest with the CEO of cybersecurity firm Okta. Then for the first time in 30 years, NFL Sunday Ticket, which allows you to watch all out-of-market football games, has made its way to Alphabet's YouTube. So what does this mean for Alphabet's bottom line, if anything? I'll give you my take. And earlier this month, I sat down, uh, or this, this week, I'm sorry, I sat down with the CEO of autonomous vehicle company Cruise in the back of their driverless vehicle. I'm sharing part two of our first-of-its-kind interview. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Just over two weeks ago, we got results from Okta, the software company that handles identity and access management. It's a very important area in cybersecurity. The numbers were fantastic. It was a clean beat and raised quarter that sent the stock surging more than 13% in a single session. And I wouldn't be surprised. Why not? I mean, Okta could keep running here, but there's been a snag. 
See, MGM Resorts got hit with a major cyber attack, and it appears as though the hackers broke into the company's network via social engineering effort that involved compromising an employee's Okta logging credentials. We need to take a closer look at what's happening here, especially since the company's holding a, a customer event next month where they can reset the narrative. So let's check in with Todd McKinnon, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Okta, to get a better handle of the situation. Mr. McKinnon, welcome back to Bad Bunny. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Todd. I know a lot of people are concerned about the MGM uh, hack, but first I want to get into the fact that you significantly improved your margins and income while still delivering double-digit growth over the last year, and the revenues are on fire. Most companies that have had to pivot to become more profitable or profitable have seen a slowing in revenue. How are you able to continue to have the fast-growing revenue and yet go to a nice non-gap profit margin? Uh, it's a couple of things. One, it's the industry we're in. Identity is on the top of the priority list for every organization. And the reason why is because it can help keep organizations more secure. We talk about these social engineering attack. We, pl- we play an important role in protecting companies from those. It can help companies do more on the top line, drive revenue, create a better customer experience, and we can help them do it all in a secure way. So it's an industry trend. We're benefiting from a positive trend toward identity. It really matters. And then it's, it's good execution. You mentioned the, the revenue growth. We're very happy with 23% revenue growth in the quarter but also generating nearly $50 million of cash and also raising our outlook for cash for the year to by $70 million up to $330 million of cash in terms of guidance generating cash this year. It's five times greater than last year. So we're doing growth plus efficiency, which I think is, uh, it, it's, 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 I'm proud of the team and I'm proud of our progress. Well, that's why I, I want to get into the MGM hack because I think that your company had sharply better than expected both top and bottom line and would be the one that people go to if they just understood what really happened. I don't like to take a bad guy's view of what happened or who was involved. We got the man who has always told us everything straight. Can you describe what happened and done in a way that doesn't say or does say that uh, how much identity really matters here? Well, we have over 18,400 customers around the world. And one thing that every company has the unique or has the characteristic, Okta customer or not, is they're all under massive attack from from cyber criminals. The the amount that cyber criminals can gain from attacking companies and organizations and governments is super high. So everyone's under attack. And one of these attacks is this this method of social engineering, which is basically preying on everyone's tendency to want to do something to help a friend, help someone in need. And they basically get, get tricked in share, to sharing sensitive information when a bad guy tricks them into thinking that they're a known friend or a known acquaintance. And this is, this is a big problem. And we're working hard in our products and with our partners in the industry to make it not a problem, like we are working hard to make all security threats not a problem. Uh, and that's where we're focused. So I can't you- say, I don't, I don't talk specifically about, uh, first of all, MGM is a great customer and we love them and we work very closely with them all the time. And, and when they're having an issue, we work closely with them for sure. But I'm not going to comment publicly about this issue. It's, it's, it's an ongoing thing and um, it's not appropriate to comment on it. But I will say that the Okta system or the Okta products are secure and we're not breached and are, are um, we're fine from that perspective. Well, what I'm, I'm concerned about is I would think that everybody at this point in any position where they could be having uh, sensitive information would know better because, yes, any any system that is meant to make it so anything that's meant to make it so that you no one can break in should be a company with training 
where people would realize that you that sensitive identity information can hack anybody. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's, uh, like all of these uh, opportunities to get better, there's many avenues. There's training, there's uh, additional product capabilities, there's how the products and the entire security ecosystem can be more integrated together and work as a more unified front to, to, to swart some of these threats. And the most important thing about it, Jim, is that as an industry, we, we continue to work together to fight off the bad guys because the bad guys are, are coming at every weakness and we're only as strong as an industry as our weakest link. So one of the things that we pride ourselves at Okta is working very closely and collaborating with everyone in the ecosystem. In fact, it's pretty different about our strategy. Some vendors in our in our space want to kind of do everything themselves and lock out the rest of the competition where we're more about integrating and keeping the customer secure across that entire chain of security which is where we're putting our focus and our strategy. Well, you guys are getting a lot of customers that have very sensitive data. And I would think at this point, people realize that if I were to find out some employee's name and knew that he left and wanted to do something, that someone should be on guard to say, you know what, I think this person's asking inappropriate questions. And Okta has taught us that this is exactly how our system can be breached. Isn't that what should happen? Well, I think you mentioned companies with sensitive data. Well, what the world is realizing is that there, every company and every organization right. has incredibly sensitive data. And as everything has been digitized and the processes have been automated, it's been great for business and great for growth and great for strategy of the entire economy, but it comes with risks. And that's why we've been able to establish this leadership position as the identity company that can help facilitate some of that those transactions and that great digital advancement, but also keeping it more secure. Are there people who will begin to get skeptical about how much they're paying for cybersecurity protection uh, if they see that MGM was breached? Well, I think these kind of breaches in terms of companies thinking about the cost benefit of cyber, they happen all the time. And companies see a direct correlation between investing in security technology and the the decrease of the impact and the severity of breaches. It doesn't mean they go to zero. So I think it's it's pretty, if you look at the surveys and you look at the the market analysts and the industry analysts, it's very clear that the that the cyber industry is is having a very positive impact on the severity of breaches and the and the uh, the um, frequency of breaches. But we're not perfect and we have to get better and we're all committed to do that. One last question. I know that you're not the client and the client is who you work for. But do you advise ever uh, paying rather than just saying, listen, make a stand here and don't pay the big guy? Well, you're talking about a specific tactic, the ransomware yes. tactic. Yes. And I think I think if if you're in a ransomware situation, it's too late and it's okay. time to to be proactive and, and put the defenses in place before that. I think that's a great answer, and it's one of the reasons why I think people seek your advice and also why your company's done so well over time. Todd McKinnon is the co-founder and CEO of Okta. Hey, Todd, thanks for coming on. I know it's not an easy thing to come on after a couple of tough days, but I think you tell the story very well. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be here. Okay, Mayor Bunny's back in. Coming up, first and goal for Google, the X's and O's of Sunday Ticket's new home. Next. Week two of the NFL season kicked off in style. 
with the Eagles' gritty 34-28 victory over the Vikings last night. And on Sunday, legions of diehard NFL fans will turn to a service called NFL Sunday Ticket. It lets you watch out-of-market football games. For years, Sunday Ticket was the only reason to get DirecTV. They were the exclusive purveyor. And if you're someone like me, you had no choice but to subscribe. Because even though I live in New York, I'm a lifelong Philadelphia sports fan. For the first time in 30 years, though, 30-year history, NFL Sunday Ticket is no longer on DirecTV. Instead, starting this season, you can exclusively buy it through YouTube. It's the video streaming platform that belongs to Alphabet. You can either buy it on a standalone basis or as an add-on package for YouTube TV, which is their slimmed-down digital cable offering for cord cutters who don't want to totally give up on live TV. Now, most of the mega-cap tech outfits are going after live sports broadcasting, including Amazon, uh, because advertisers love it. Thursday Night Football is on ex- exclusively on Amazon Prime. And if you care about Major League Soccer, that's all Apple TV+. Plus. But this YouTube NFL Sunday ticket partnership feels different to me. And not just because Alphabet shut out $2 billion per year for the rights. I think it's different because it's a true needle mover for YouTube, something that puts them right in the establishment media pantheon. Yet, for the moment, Alphabet doesn't seem to be getting much credit for this incredible property. We're shining a light on it right here. Though in the last couple of weeks, some analysts has finally started waking up about it. Lately, though, all anyone seems to care about in tech is AI. Hey, don't get me wrong. Alphabet's got terrific artificial intelligence exposure. They have one of the larger competitors to ChatGPT. It's called BARD. Their Google Cloud Next event last month was almost entirely dedicated to AI. Thomas Curry, a really smart, tough guy, the CEO of Google Cloud, even held a fireside chat with none other than NVIDIA's Jensen Wong to talk about how they're expanding their partnership, offering Google Cloud customers infrastructure, software, and services powered by NVIDIA's technology. Earlier this week, they announced an expansion of their AI team with Salesforce, too, when we were out there at Dreamforce. But remember, Alphabet is still primarily a digital advertising company, mostly through Google Search. And advertising is the main reason why the stock's up 56% year-to-date, because ads are holding up much better than anybody expected 10 months ago. Take the most recent quarter. Google advertising revenue, which was... 78% of the company's total revenue in the period came in at $58.1 billion. Wall Street was only looking for $57.5 billion. That's a 3.3% revenue growth uh, after two straight down quarters. Search advertising was good. YouTube advertising was great. Plus, YouTube increasingly makes money from non-advertising efforts, including something that I really like having come from this business, subscription services like YouTube TV. That money's captured in the other revenues line with the broader Google services unit, which came in at $8.1 billion. That's up 24% year over year and nearly $1 billion above what the analysts were expecting. On the conference call, management said that 24% services growth came mostly from YouTube Music Premium and YouTube TV. If you listen to the call closely, you heard all sorts of mouth-watering details about the strength of YouTube TV here, uh, especially in the connected TV space. Listen to what CEO Sundar Pichai had to say here. Quote, the living room remained our fastest growing screen in 2022 in terms of watch time. We're reaching more than 150 million people connected TV screens in the U.S. and seeing growth and momentum internationally, end quote. Now, that, that half of the country's watching TV, YouTube TV on big TV screens rather than phones or computers, advertisers have fallen in love with the platform. I didn't even know about it until I signed up for this. For example, Warner Brothers Discovery actually has been running a promotion that includes a discount on NFL Sunday ticket for people who subscribe to Max. That's a streaming platform formerly known as HBO Max. Advertisers love it because YouTube is one of the few services that can still force you to watch commercials. 
By the way, that Max promotion was far from the only partner promotion offering a discount on an NFL Sunday ticket, which costs you roughly $350 for YouTube TV subscribers and $450 for non-subscribers. I also saw similar promotions for Verizon, which offered free NFL Sunday ticket for new mobile or home internet customers, and the sports gambling platform FanDuel, which offered $100 off NFL Sunday ticket for all new customers. Since the quarter, some analysts have increasingly paying attention to the power of YouTube, and especially YouTube TV. A month ago, uh, no, but a month and a half ago, influential Moffitt Nathanson media analyst Michael Nathanson published a very smart note. It was entitled, Alphabet, the world's leading media company? Yes, question mark. Nathanson pointed out that if YouTube were treated as a standalone media company, it would already be the third largest player in the space based on 2022 revenue, with by far the most advertising revenue. Overall, Nathanson sees YouTube TV dominating the online cable business. Looking at the sales and margins, he paid YouTube's independent valuation at more than $240 billion. Now, we don't pay enough attention to it because, well, I mean, what do you do? Alphabet's a $1.7 trillion business. But YouTube can already go toe-to-toe with anybody in the entertainment industry. Then just this week, uh, more aggressive NETA analyst by the name of Laura Martin published a separate attempt to value YouTube, and she was far more bullish on the franchise's prospects. She argues that standalone YouTube will be worth more than, I think she's wrong on this, but I'll, have to, I'll give you the number, $400 billion. Of that $400 billion, she thinks YouTube TV is worth $84 billion without NFL Sunday ticket, which she says adds an additional $8.4 billion in value to the business. I think these analysts make some compelling arguments. But taking a big picture view, YouTube's becoming an increasingly important part of the overall bull case for Alphabet, in large part because all the subscription revenue is helping them diversify away from the boom and bust advertising business. And I think that move to a more subscriber-based business model only accelerates now that the NFL Sunday ticket is part of the package. I try to figure out how much. Don't have any numbers yet. In the end, just when everybody is worried about the future of search now that Microsoft's Bing is teaming up with ChatGPT, Alphabet came out of nowhere with the hottest digital TV product, one that is the most targeted ads as we're seeing via their partnership with Hershey, which, by the way, is a very good and forward marketer. Best of all, they have a whole platform, not a linear cable network. Here's the bottom line. Look, it's so, so much easier to get NFL Sunday ticket if you watch YouTube. It's very befuddling if if you're trying to get to it without it, as I did. And if you didn't know that they had this football deal, I think you're going to be impressed. That's why I see a wholesale re-rating of Alphabet coming, uh, one that I think, even though the stock's up a lot, should send the stock even higher. Let's take some questions. Let's go to David in New Jersey. David. Hey, Jim. I'm an investing club member. Uh, oh, thank you. Fun and su- successfully investing along with the club. Thank you for all you do. Oh, what don't forget you- Thursday's meet. Uh, we're on a club meeting at noon. I'll be there. Excellent. I wanted to hear your thoughts on Netflix after the last couple of days of drops. Is this an opportunity to buy? I'm going to say yes to that, but let me give an even better one. You're a club member. You understand that Disney on Monday has a big conference, and Disney's going to play up theme parks. Now, why is this important? Because Netflix has no theme parks, and theme parks are incredibly lucrative. So I like Disney more at 85, as you know, because you're a club member. Let's go to Paul in Minnesota. Paul. Hey, Jim. Happy Fireball Friday to you. Oh, no kidding. Is that ever the case? What's happening? Well, I took a beating last night on my long, lifelong fan, the Vikings, here, and I, I got beat up pretty bad. I need to oh, know I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, yeah, it was I a big deal for me, but I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For you. Since you pick winners, 
Do I have a winner in FICO? Um, you know what? I keep thinking that one day we'll wake up and someone will have a better mousetrap that's better than FICO. Everyone has failed. FICO is the winner, and I think you're dead right. So I like it. And uh, sorry about the Vikings, but somebody has to win. I think having an NFL Sunday ticket on YouTube TV is a real needle mover for Alphabet. And it could lead to an entire re-rating of the stock that sends it higher. And if you know anyone who needs three used dishes, I've got them. There's much more man money ahead, including part two of my sit-down with Cruise. The GM subsidiary is set to launch a new type of robo-taxi called Origin. And I'm hearing how the company is shaking up the AV space with the CEO. Then, we're always trying to figure out how and where inflation is. And there's one corner of the market where it's been the biggest thorn to the Fed and to you and me. I'll reveal what it is and what you need to know. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last night, we showed you part one of our interview with Kyle Vogt, the co-founder, president, CEO, and CTO of Cruise, which is the GM-backed autonomous ride-hailing business. But as I mentioned at the time, there was so much fantastic ground to cover that we broke our interview into two segments, highly unusual for us. Here's the rest. I'm having a very free discussion with you. Now we're obviously mic'd up, and this is for TV. But I've had free discussions with people in a cab of which the other, the one person is not signed an NDA, one person is free to listen, one person is able to say, I had Jim Cramer in my cab, let me tell you what he's really like, which is maybe the biggest setback to my career if it goes viral on Twitter. Well, you're, you're a public figure, right? But there are people talking about their breakups, their, their like M&A transactions, legal cases in the backseat with someone listening two feet away. And we have no, we don't know anything whether that person's, by the way, I had a car last night. It was 11.30 at night. And the first thing I thought of was like, what's the guy been doing for the last few hours? Yeah. Did he have a pop? Or is he, is he taking notes afterwards? You know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so now tell me, we are in some area that it knows... Yeah, yeah. Because so. you pl- plugged in the route. If there had been a lot of traffic, would it have been able to pivot? Uh, it, it will. It will try to deviate from heavy really? traffic. It's got you know real time rerouting if it sees so a blockage. So it's got like waves. Is it like the equivalent of waves? Uh, well, we have the AVs running all over the city. We have a lot of data. Right. Um, a lot of data. Really. No, that's really a big. Uh, do you have a brain like Dojo that someone makes a big deal of? <laughs> we, we we have a fleet learning system, but we don't need a super computer to do it. Oh, what? Okay, so Noki's telling me what? So we're headed to the waypoint, but I'm actually going to reroute us back to where okay. we came from. So I'm just going to, I just typed in uh, another address and hit update trip. New destination. Now, it's novel right now. Will it just be not not novel one year from now in San Francisco? It's not novel to a lot of people in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Really? So you're not taking pictures and doing selfies back here? You know, it's, it's funny. Like most of San Francisco at this point has seen tons of these cars. But when you go, over to Fisherman's Wharf and, and where the tourist areas sure. are, everyone's got their phone out, right? This is this has got to be huge for tourism. It in San is Francisco. so much. I find it incredible that when I saw you uh, initially, I think you were allowed to be like in like a three square mile area, and everyone was very worried. And now I think Houston and Dallas are cities of very libertarian free thinking, but they're also not known for technology like Austin. Uh, but it, they take to it, huh? Yeah, I mean, certainly on the regulatory side, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it took us just a handful of days to get the permits it took 33 months for in oh, California. And look, you know, we're working closely with regulators. They have a very important job to do, and something like this deserves um, oversight. But we're seeing a strong interest and demand from a lot of cities um, outside California as well 
um, when they see the safety benefits, when they see just you know an additional uh, form of transportation to augment what they have in their city, it's it's uh, it's a clear win. Well, one of the things that again, like I'm thinking about where we were. There's sometimes in tech, you can tell me because of Twitch and other things that you've done. There were only certain number. There was a million miles, and that was a big deal. And then million, two miles, big deal. Now it's like. Okay, five million. It'll be ten million. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it could be twenty million in eighteen months, right? I mean, we, we then we don't have to worry about the the empirical data will be so obvious, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a million miles a month uh, roughly that we're accumulating Jeez. right now, and it's and it's growing still from there. Um, you see, we're slowing down and going around the cyclist right. here. Uh, but yeah, so the, the problem um, is that, you know, really catastrophic events like a fatality and things right. are still relatively rare in the U.S. So it will take a lot of time for the, um, the full story to develop around right. safety. But if you look at the more frequent things like injuries that happen, you know, far more frequent on our roads, especially in dense cities, uh, we're already we already have enough data to see a clear improvement. Well, I think that we have to get away from the notion of a particular instance in some part of Arizona versus, versus a child being run over and not having an article about it. Mm. Yeah, there was that just happened a few I mean, weeks ago in San Francisco. Been, see, I, I don't know. As a parent uh, who taught my daughter how to drive, I would have rather, frankly, have Noki teach my daughter how to drive, just in terms of awareness, which mm. is predictability and awareness. I've always felt were the most important things to learning to drive. The predictability and awareness of this vehicle is far in excess of what a sixteen-year-old has. Yeah, sometimes you'll see the car slow down and you're like, what What just happened? And you'll look behind you and see a cyclist approaching or you'll see someone coming out from behind, a, you know, between two parked cars and you didn't even notice it. And when you have one of those moments where you're like, wow, this car saw more than I did, it's really comforting. Now, we haven't talked origin, which apparently is almost very close to being a reality. Yes. Uh, would origin be commercial from day one? Um, I'm Would not I, sure. So, we, you know, you mentioned we started in a small corner. Of right. So, that's, expanded. That's, so we're going to, we, that's part of our, our uh, rollout plan is we always start small and, and expand um, progressively. But, you know, we are, um, we're waiting to get, you know, response from federal regulators on the ability to operate this vehicle. The first one produced, you know, at scale by an OEM without a steering wheel. So this is, this right. is new. Um, and when we have that, uh, we'll put it out there on public roads as soon as we can. Obvious um, use cases. What do you think? It's 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 designed for robo taxis from the ground up. Okay. You know, you've got room for up to six people, seats that face each other. So, which is really fun for mm -hmm. a group setting. You've got you know fun things like good stereo lighting and everything, uh, and doors that open like a train. So it's really easy to get so, in and out. Okay, so I I have to go to Cupertino, say from San Francisco, uh, with a group, and I can go with a bunch of my friends. Much cooler than having a carpool, which one of us has to drive each day. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's ideal for commuting as well. But really, I think um, when you have when you have this group setting uh, where people are facing each other and there's no nobody else listening, so you you know everyone's mm. kind of got their guard up a little bit if you're mm. being driven you totally. know, in a ride hill vehicle, right. or if one of you has to drive. It's the weirdest thing in the world we've come to normalize staring at the back of someone's head. <laughs> you know, there's people sitting right, in the front seat. Right. It's it's such an awkward experience, but we take it for granted today. Well, it's interesting that the the last time that there was something that was an advantage would be the radio. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, you have the radio in here. I could imagine a situation where the liberty of having my friends after, say, a game and realizing we can talk about anything we want about the game and not having someone say, what a bunch of jokers. <laughs> like, I don't want any judgments made. I feel like every time I'm in a an Uber, and not to, against Darrow or, or Lyft with, 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 with David, but I do feel that it's... 
an experience that I don't like. Yeah. And an experience I don't like with another person. I don't yep. know. I mean, look, that's the time I give them five stars and I give them a tip, right? Yep. But there's been ones where it's, where it's not been great. I want, I, if I can have the choice and I get off in the city, in the airport, I would much rather be able to use this, call up, than get in the, in the queue, uh, wait to see if that's my right, my, you know, the T1116528, and I'm looking for that. Versus this, I mean, I think it's just a, a kind of a fun experience. I agree. And it's, you're not going to have to look for a license plate number. Right. You know the name of the car. It'll be no, Nokia or Sourdough or Tostada. Uh, look, like I think that those are <laughs> things that we are going to find novel initially. It attracts us. Then it's safe. And then we realize, I don't want to go back to what it was. Can that happen in this city? Is it already like that? You know, our biggest thing right now is we're supply constrained. We've we lowered our fleet size a little bit, you know, in partnership with uh, um, regulators as they sort of acclimate to this new technology. And uh, although I think, you know, in the not so distant future, there'll be more supply in San Francisco and, you know, a chance for people to use this as much as they want. Now, this is a, a right without a right on, there's no light. So this no, is just, just a judgment a, a yield call. situation, yeah. And we're inching out there. Someone I think was actually reckless. And it's by anticipated reckless behavior. Uh, it's basically just you know it's it's looking for any signal, sometimes here. barely perceptible. Please stay buckled up until we stop and grab all your things. Okay, very good. Yeah, it's just wait. It was waiting for any signal that that vehicle was going to slow down before it decided to merge in front of it. Does and it has a level of sensitivity to touch that we would want and welcome as a driver. Uh, in terms of touch, yeah, the way it drives, but also the, the vehicle itself is very sensitive, so it can detect, you know, if it ever comes into contact with an object or another vehicle or anything like that. Um, we put a lot of effort into making sure these vehicles are safe. It's interesting to think that when you're trying to get the data, it and would uh, favor the driver because they don't report those. So they're under-reporting accidents versus what you have to do. Well, there's a natural incentive if you know it's going to make your insurance rates go up, right? Sure. I mean, wow, there's thousands on the line for just a quick touch you're right versus these where you don't you know you're so over scrutinized and they're so under scrutinized it's painful well i mean to me i didn't i mean some people i may express fear i thought the light coming up kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit it's a fast fire lightning round next Best rifle, one of the memories. Same as Taylor. Talk to you. Bye bye bye. Sell smoke joke near the closer. Talk about your favorite play to sell. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Crazy today. I'm going to start with Glenn, Illinois. Glenn. Steve or Jim? I just saw a couple days ago the investment club was recommending oil stocks. And what it yeah. made me wonder is what your thinking is about oil service stocks. And specifically Schlumberger. Schlumberger is very, very good. Uh, we did we sold our Halliburton only because we felt that the oils had gone up so much. But I have to tell you, I, I like SLB very much. It's a great company. Let's go to Brian, uh, Joe in New York. Joe. Hey, Kramer, how are we doing? I'm doing hey, well. I, how are you? Thank you, sir. Hey, I'd like a little insight here. I made an investment in a stock. Uh, I don't know why it's not going up. It's got earnings. It's got Revenue uh, pays a dividend. Uh, it just increased it, I think, seven percent okay. or seven cents. Uh, stock is Avnet. 
I share, I share your frustration. I think the stock is too cheap. I like it. It's got a very low price earnings multiple. It's very profitable. I think you hold on to it. Let's go to Brian and Washington. Brian. Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer, sir. Good, good afternoon. Booyah, all Brian. All the home out there. Love your show. Long Thank time you. listener. Thank this you. This is the lightning round. I'd like to know what you think about T-Limited. Uh, I think it's too dicey. Singapore-based company is not really delivered for people. I want to stay away. Samantha, Missouri. Samantha. Hello, Kramer. Hey, Samantha. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. What's happening? I'm trying to find out what your thoughts are on Joby Aviation. Uh, we're not recommending any companies that are losing money hand over fist like Joby. I'm going to have to say you should sell, sell, sell. Let's go to Chris in Washington. Chris. Hey, Jim. Big Washington booyah, sir. Excellent. What's happening? Uh, first time caller, long time viewer, member of the club. So thank oh, you for all, the, all that you do. And um, thank you. Don't forget Thursday meeting. Excellent, yes. Wanted to get your thoughts on Discover Financial. Seems like they might be a good value. I just think that in the end, I like to go with Best of Breed, even though that stock seems very cheap, which puts us in the realm of owning MasterCard. Let's go to Walt in North Carolina. Walt! Hey, Jim. Walt. It's, uh, first, first, I want to let you know how much I enjoy your program. I Thank really you. appreciate your candor. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Uh, Jim, two years ago, I bought Verizon stock at $62 a share, primarily for the dividend, sure. which was 4.5% at that time. In the past two years, the stock has fallen approximately 50% to around $34 a share. Very, very discouraging. All right, yeah, well, here's my take. Here, here's my take, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's not a hard take. Uh, the company is just a buy and not a very good bond. And you can get 7% elsewhere, is all I have to say. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. Coming up, home prices have soared since COVID and mortgage rates more than doubled. Can the Fed do more than say, happy house hunting? Stick with Kramer. trying to figure out where inflation is lurking and where it's being thrashed by the Fed. And there's no place where it's lingering more persistently than housing. The average price of a home is still up 40% since the pandemic began. That's unacceptable to the Fed. And when the Fed meets next Wednesday to pronounce its next moves on interest rates, I think the theme will be what does it take to create to crush all of inflation, but especially housing. Given the mortgage rates have more than doubled from 3% and change to 7% and change over a very short, contained period of time, we're already starting to see some cracks in the housing market. Last night, Lennar, giant home builder, told a story of moderating prices down about 10% from its high. That's not enough, but it's certainly going in the right direction. Of course, the Fed is deeply focused on the consumer price index, which doesn't include the price of housing, although it does include rent. As Stuart Miller, the executive chairman of Lennar, pointed out, Rents indeed have moderated. That's terrific news. It means the Fed's winning on the housing front, particularly when it comes to multifamily housing. When you're looking for an important cycle to peak, you need to search through any and all data because you don't want your thinking to be skewed by an outlier. Redfin, the technology-powered real estate broker, is saying that housing sticker shock has emerged as a major driving price, pushing down home prices. Nationwide Redfin reports today that nearly 60,000 home purchase agreements were canceled in August, which is about 15.5% of all homes under contract. Now, that's a disturbing trend for the homeowners, but it's a very good trend for the Fed and the consumer. Will any of this matter? 
I think we're finally beginning to see something traditional happening in the real estate sector. Every housing cycle starts the same way. The Fed lowers rates in sync with the decline in home prices. That brings buyers in, and home builders immediately sense that there could be a return to growth. Initially, home buyers burn off all their existing inventory. Then the home builders start to hit the market with higher priced homes. Buyers step up. They raise prices again. Then the buyers start balking, especially because this time the Fed's tightened about two or three times and the cost of buying a home is starting to get unaffordable. Usually mortgage rates keep going higher, just as the home builders have lots of new inventory hitting the market, because in the past they've almost always overbuilt when business was booming. That's when inventory really grows, but the home buyers disappear, and the price of a home doesn't inch lower like it's doing now. Instead, it cascades lower to moves that are much prices that are much more realistic. Do you know what? I think we are about to see that play out again. It's what the Fed wants to see, and as long as the Fed doesn't cut interest rates, they're going to get their way. But as with anything else involving the Fed, we don't want them to win too big. We don't want the industry destroyed, just hobbled by its own overbuilding. Will it happen again? I sure hope so. We need this tightening cycle to end if we're ever going to get away from just this endless worry about earnings being bad. But the rate hikes won't stop until housing inflation is truly broken. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.